It's funny, isn't it? You know, there's two huge events in the, Christ, in the Christian calendar, Christmas and Easter. And Christmas is like everyone's gone crazy and mad, and it's this huge thing. And we all say all the time, and I think I've said this before, are we all ready for Christmas? Are you ready? And everyone's like, no, I'm not ready. And then yet we get to Easter, which for us Christians, Christians is more significant than Christmas and it's just like yes yeah, Easter soon yeah Easter's coming and then we have Easter Sunday we all go oh praise the Lord it's Easter Sunday and then that's the end of it and you know I grew up Church of England I'm sure some of you may have backgrounds within the Church of England or other denominations and within the Church of England they know how to do Easter they like started a lot of 40 days ago they started it And they start building up to Easter. It's like, let us prepare ourselves to understand the significance that Jesus not only came as a baby and was born miraculously of a virgin, wow, but then actually did all of this stuff. And then he died on the cross for you and for me so that we didn't have to take take ownership and take responsibility for our sins. He said, I'll do that for you. I'll go and see the head teacher for that thing you did. I'll go to the boss at work for that, that, that problem that you have. I'll go and take your place in jail for those things you did because I want to take all of your sins on me so that you can be free. That's more exciting than a virgin having a baby. And yet so often... The build-up to Easter is just really non-existent. We have Easter eggs. And it's like, whoa, Cadbury's cream eggs are out in January now. Cadbury's know how to do Easter better than Christians do. Because they start in January. Right, Christmas is done. Whoa, let's get ready for Easter. Jesus is coming. And you know, some of you may have been pondering, please don't get me wrong. But I think there is so much more that we can consider about Easter and the impact that it has on our lives because it was significant. And, you know, people have their traditions. You know, today is Palm Sunday when in the Christian calendar they celebrate Jesus getting on a donkey, riding into Jerusalem and people waving their palms and their cloaks and throwing them down and going, Hosanna, Jesus is coming. And then in the next breath they say, crucify him. But we celebrate Palm Sunday. In some churches, they'll give out palm crosses. And you know, you may have your own traditions in your family. Maybe you do Easter egg hunts. Maybe you have certain food and and certain meals when you celebrate Easter. Maybe you do gifts. Maybe you have holidays at this time of year. But I want to encourage you, no matter what your traditional background is, from a Christian point of view or your background from a family point of view, Let's take some time to consider the significance of Easter and the importance of it and the impact that that has upon us. And I just want to put a little bit of context into Easter because, and I think I said this at Christmas as well, the people who lived at the same time as Jesus, the Jews, to them, they didn't know it was Easter. They were like just doing what they did. And actually, for them, it was Passover, which is basically when they celebrated, 
they'd been in captivity in Egypt hundreds of years before, and they'd been in Egypt for 400 years in captivity. And Moses then came, did all these plague things and all this stuff, and then they were released from Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness for 40 years because they couldn't really learn the lessons before they went into the promised land. So actually, what they were celebrating at the time of Jesus' death was Passover. They were celebrating a time of victory, and they were celebrating a time of freedom. But they were also remembering the despair that they had lived in and the captivity that they had had. They were remembering that even when there's despair, that there is hope. And I believe that Easter actually tells us the same thing. The Jews celebrated Passover, the despair and the hope that they saw that God brought. But Easter does the same thing. There's despair, yet there was a great hope to come out of it. And the same was true for them in the old as they celebrated Passover and for us today as we look to celebrate Easter. And this morning, I just wanted to take some time and consider and ponder on it. You know, Easter, like I say, is the story of despair and hope in the build-up to it. And from that, we find victory and freedom. And I want to talk to you about, well, how do we find that victory and that freedom in our lives personally? And the first thing that I think that we need to understand is this, that God has higher ways. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9, it says this, and this is God talking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you may think, where are you going with this? Well, just bear with me, because let's go back to that first Easter when they didn't know it was Easter, when it was actually Passover. And let's go back to that first Palm Sunday that they had. And, you know, the people at the time, Jesus had been going around and ministering. He'd been performing miracles. He'd been raising the dead. He'd been upsetting a few people. But ultimately, they looked to him, and the Jews were waiting for a coming king that had been promised. And so the rumblings had begun to happen. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the coming king who is going to set us free from our enemies and bring freedom and victory like Passover never brought that is promised for us that could be above and beyond anything we've ever known? So this rumbling was going on. And as Jesus came into Jerusalem for that Passover celebration and people prepared for that Passover The people came out and they spread their cloaks on the ground and they waved the palm trees. Now, traditionally in Jewish culture, spreading your cloak on the ground was what you did when there was a new king in town. So it was significant that they took the coats off and put them on the ground. They were saying, we recognize you, Jesus, as our new king. We believe that you're going to come and set us free from those who oppress us. And at that moment in time, it was the Romans. Because the Romans had taken over the whole of Jerusalem, the whole of Israel, and the Israelites were under Roman rule. 
And they believed that Jesus was this king, this Messiah that had been spoken of. And so they were stirring beneath the surface that this could be the one that sets us free. And the palms were symbols of triumph and victory. So not only are they saying as Jesus comes in on his donkey that you are the new king by throwing the coats down, but by waving the palms, they're saying there's going to be triumph and victory. They were believing for a revolt. And you know, revolution has two different definitions from the dictionary. I'll read them to you. The first one is this, and this is what the Jews were believing for. It says, a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favour of a new system. The Jews were believing for a revolt, for a change, for the overthrowing of the Roman Empire, for this Messiah who they'd been promised to come and bring freedom and victory and squash the Romans under their feet. But revolution has a different, word, different meaning as well. And it's this, an instance of revolving, of turning. And when things turn, they change and become different. This is what we were talking about when we read the verse from Isaiah. God has higher ways. God had a different idea of what revolution was going to look like. The Jews thought it was going to be the overturning of the Romans who were over them. But actually, God was saying, no, I'm doing a complete turning, a revolving of everything that you have ever known. And I'm going to turn this world on its head. How often do we misunderstand God? And we need to soften our thoughts and our understanding so that our, our thoughts and our ideas and our preconceived ideas will actually just soften down and allow God to teach us again and allow God to change us again and allow God to speak to us again and change and revolve and move us around instead of thinking, this is what I believe God is going to do. And say, actually, God, what are you going to do? Show me, teach me, allow me to understand in a way that I never have. This was God's idea on Palm Sunday. And we're going to go and read in Exodus where the law was given to the Israelites. So they came out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. The Egyptians were squashed. They received the Ten Commandments. And then they received all these laws of how they should live. And they went round the wilderness for years and years. And one of the laws they received was to do with Passover and to do with remembering how they came out of Egypt and exactly how they should do it and what they should do. Bear with me if you're wondering where I'm going. Exodus 12 verse 3 says this, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animal you choose must be a year old male without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So on the 10th day of the month, they have to get the lamb and bring it out 
and then look after it and keep it safe until the 14th day of the month. So we saw that Jesus was brought out by his Father in heaven as the Lamb of God and kept safe until the 14th day of the month, until Passover, when he was crucified on a cross and his blood was shed for you and for me. And what we actually see is that God was following his own law that he set down for the Israelites, that get your lamb that is big enough for your whole household. So he provided a lamb that was big enough for the whole of humanity that they could come and share in the lamb that God had provided for his whole household so that they could be passed over. God fulfills his own law so that his whole household can be set free. God's ways are so much higher than ours that my head just sometimes wants to go, oh, I can't cope with it. God brought out his Passover lamb and he kept it safe until that day of Passover when it was slaughtered for you and for me. It was the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate Passover that it would not be a revolt and a changing of law and leadership, but it'd be a revolution that no longer would we live under the old, no longer would we live under the difficulty and the sin, but we would be finally and fully set free and released under the grace of God, living in the new covenant where the old has been fulfilled. And God himself obeys his own law that he puts in place for how you Look after your house. How amazing. And if we understand that in our despair at times, in our difficulties, in our lack of understanding, in our places where we feel trapped and in bondage, that God has higher ways, if we can understand that, then it will transform and change how we go through our circumstances. It will cause us to let go. Pride will fall and will allow new ideas and new space in. It will cause us to let God, where we spend time listening and trusting, where we try to do it how we think, instead of allowing God to bring in what he wants to do. So that's the first thing. As we look to live lives of freedom and victory, let us understand that God has higher ways. The second thing is this. That we have to wait for hope. You know, the whole of Easter was and is defined by Easter Sunday. But there's so many other lessons within that Easter story that we can learn. And I believe the lesson of waiting for hope to be fulfilled is one of those lessons. Because what can we see when we look at Easter? We can see that God doesn't leave us helpless, that he brings his own Passover lamb to set us free. We can see the kindness of God where he says, I love you more than my own son because I sent him to die on a cross for you. There are lessons in the waiting and that hope, even if so very small, it is there and worth waiting for. 
So when you find yourself in despair, when you find yourself in difficulty, when you find yourself in bondage, when you find yourself not understanding, know that if you wait on God, if you hope in him, then he will turn up. He will not leave you there. He will come through every time because he has to fulfill what he promised. He has to fulfill and do what he said. As we saw in that last point where he had to bring the ultimate Passover lamb and fulfill the law. Elizabeth Elliot was an amazing woman. She was married to a missionary called Jim Elliot who went out to evangelize to a native tribe who actually killed him and his fellow missionaries. Elizabeth Elliot, with some of the other wives, went again to that tribe. And instead of being killed, they actually converted them. That's some woman. And I love this quote by her. Don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith. So often we have hope, we believe, we're like, yes, I know God's going to come through on me. I'm, there's all this despair and all this difficulty, but I know God's going to come through. And we plant our hope in the ground, believing that it's going to grow and flourish and God's going to do something amazing. And then as time goes by, we begin to doubt and we begin to fear and we begin to worry. And so we go back to that hope and we begin to dig it up and wonder what's happened and wonder where God is. Maybe I planted God as well. And we pull it all up and pull it apart and our hope is lost. Hope is a gift. But we have to bury it deep and wait for it to grow. It can be so difficult. It can be so hard. But you've got to plant it down deep. It's the time of year for planting seeds. And if any of you have been planting seeds, or if you haven't, let's be honest. We all know if you plant a seed, the thing to not do with it is to dig it back up. The thing to do with it is to water it and leave it and wait. Because eventually, it will grow. So when you have faith and hope for something, plant it deep in God's word. Plant it deep in your heart and believe. And eventually, it will grow. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Verses 42 to 44 in the message. This image of planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is a mere sketch at best. But perhaps it will help in approaching the mystery of the resurrection body. But only if you keep in mind that when we're raised, we're raised for good, alive forever. The corpse that was planted is no beauty, but when it is raised, it's glorious. But put in the ground weak, it comes up powerful. You can be put in the ground weak. You can be a complete bubbling mess you can be all over the place you can be on the edge of it but if you plant yourself in God hoping and believing for something new and something fresh to come out it comes out powerful the seed sown is natural the seed grown is supernatural same seed same body but what a difference from when it goes down in physical mortality to when it is raised up to spiritual 
immortality. Jesus hung on the cross for you and for me to bring eternal life, to bring resurrection life. And if we believe and trust as we plant ourselves in him, that out of that we will be raised powerful, we will be raised immortal in resurrection life. That means that when we do physically die, we go to heaven and live with him. That means in the now, when we feel like we're falling apart and things are difficult, if we plant our hope in him, he will bring life for us. He will bring joy for us. He will bring victory for us. He will set us free. He will allow us an abundance of life that maybe our circumstances say we shouldn't have. But when we plant ourselves in him, He brings life and all its abundance for us. Can I encourage you, when you're waiting for that hope to grow, that sometimes you need to rebuild it. Sometimes when we're disappointed and we're disillusioned, that place where that seed has been planted has been thrown all over the place and it needs replanting again. That trust in that seed needs to go back in and the soil around it. Don't allow disappointment to stop your hope growing. But replant it again, believing and trusting in God and in those around you. And you know, sometimes we have to protect our hope. When we feel life's tough, when we're in despair, when we're in difficulty... We need to protect that hope so it will continue to grow. I have a recurring problem with a pigeon. If anyone has any sort of gun, please come and see me after. I would like to use it. But every year I plant my seeds and to the point where I've started putting like foil around them and nets around them. And this pigeon every year comes and eats my seeds and makes me very cross. The dog is not even quick enough for this pigeon, but I would like her to eat it. So this year, my seeds are staying in my house where this pigeon cannot get, until they are really big and pigeon-killing plants. But what I'm trying to say to you is, when you plant things, there's always something or someone who wants to come and steal away what you planted. When you get breakthrough, when you see victory, there is always something or someone who wants to come away and steal and take what you have planted and say, that's never going to happen. That's not right. No, you don't want to get involved with that. No, you don't want to do that. No, you don't want to build relationship there. You want to pull away. You want to get let go of those things. But actually... When despair comes and when things come to take away that hope, you need to protect that hope. Hope says there is something bigger, there is something better, and there is something more victorious than where you are today. There is something bigger, there is something better and more victorious than where you are today. So when things come and pull that away, when people come and pull that away, when circumstances come and pull that away, protect it. Put it back together and allow it to grow. And you know, waiting can go two ways. 
We can wait for something to happen, whether it's a circumstance or whether it's just something we're believing for in our lives. Maybe it's something practical. But whatever it is that you're waiting for, it can go two ways. We can become obsessed and intense and consumed by the waiting for this thing. It can take over our lives. And that takes us down the path of depression and desperation and despair. Waiting can break us. Or we can go the other way. We can give hope the space to grow. And instead of being intense and obsessed with the thing and watching it and thinking, grow, grow, why don't you grow? And becoming so obsessed with it that we see nothing else. If we step back and carry on with life and carry on with other things that we can do, knowing and trusting that that hope is there and it's growing and God is in control of it, then that leaves us down the path of peace. Waiting can take us one way or the other. It can break us or it can make us. And the choice is ours how we look at it and how we behave towards it. But when you're waiting in hope, don't wait and become obsessed, but step back and give it space and find your peace in that place. The third and final thing I want to say to you this morning is this. That we all need to tread the journey of resurrection life. God wants to take us on that journey of resurrection life with Jesus. I want to go back to Passover again. We talked about it at the beginning. We talked about the fact that the Israelites celebrated Passover as a remembrance of what, what God had done when he'd set them free from Egypt. But if we go and look at it again... The story of the Israelites from that moment where they were held captive in Egypt to that moment where they came into the promised land is almost like every one of our stories, I should imagine. It's like a personal journey. The Israelites went on the journey from Passover, from that place where they were delivered from their enemies. They realized and they were set free. They went through the Red Sea almost like a baptism we had baptisms last week. They were baptized in the Red Sea where the Egyptian oppressors followed them and the sea crashed down on them. And so through coming through the Red Sea and the waters, their oppressors were left behind. Then we see them go into the wilderness and learning lessons and learning how to live. Then we see them learning to fight and take ground as they go into the promised land. They could have despaired many times, but God was with them and he sent people to help them. And I want to encourage you, the journey to resurrection life isn't just, oh, Jesus died on the cross and rose again. I'm living in resurrection life. Because very often, let's be honest, we get consumed 
with things that are going on around us. We don't always understand. We misunderstand what God is saying to us. And we just wonder what is happening. Yet God wants to take us on that same journey that he took the Israelites on. He wants to baptize us. He wants to set us free from those who oppress us. He wants to teach us lessons in the wilderness. He wants to show us that we can fight and we can take ground in our own lives. And he wants to ultimately bring us to the promised land where we can live in peace and where resurrection life overflows us. So the question I want to ask you this morning is this. Are you living in resurrection life? And you may say, yeah, at times, definitely. Maybe other times, no, I'm not. Or you may think, well, no, I don't think I am at all. Or you may think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am. But I've got a few things to help us consider whether we're living in resurrection life or whether things come to stop us and prevent us. You know, Jesus came to lift the weight from us. He came to bring resurrection life. He came to bring grace and freedom for us. He came to change us so that we would no longer be bound, but we would be free because of the Passover lamb. And you know, the key to transformation and change is what we think. Do we know who we are? Do we know that we're part of God's household, who he brought a lamb for and sacrificed? Do we know who he is, that he is the king of kings and he's come to set us free? Do we know that? I believe there are four things that we need. Tim, if you'd like to come and join me, that would be great. I believe we need a new mentality. We need a new mentality that tells us truly and honestly who we are and who he is. Because very often our mentalities are set in what we've always known and what's always been told us. And it doesn't matter how many times we read the Bible or we say our prayers or we hear someone preach. Because if we've got a mentality that has been ingrown in us since we were a child, then we will never fully break free of it to live in resurrection life. So we need to say to God, God, change my mentality. God, renew my mind that I may know you as you truly are, not who I think you are. Renew my mind so I know my, may know myself and what you say about me instead of what I think about myself and what life has taught me. We need a new mentality to live in resurrection life. The second thing we need is this. We need a new attitude. We need a new attitude that allows us to let go of everything that we are and everything that we have been and everything that we have built up. An attitude that no longer says, I know best, that no longer says, I think I know best, that no longer says, well, even if I don't know best, I'm still gonna do it. An attitude that says, I'm gonna humble myself and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna kneel before the King of Kings and allow him to change me and allow him to take away the things that don't allow resurrection life to live in me. Because attitude surrounds us like a barrier. And if that barrier isn't broken from within, then nothing can get through it. 
not even God, because he's a gentleman. And he won't come in unless you ask him. So we have to lay our attitude down and allow it to become gentle and weak, that he may come in and change us from within. The third thing we need is a new perspective. We need a new perspective on the fact that I may be here right now, I may be in difficulties or I may be in good times, I may be in despair or I may be in hope, I may be frustrated or I may be glad, I may be broken or I may be doing really well. Wherever you find yourself, we still need a new perspective of what God sees for our future and what God sees for us. Because circumstances so often taint us. And when they're difficult circumstances, it's like we can't see past the fog in front of us. And sometimes when they're good circumstances, we're looking everywhere else because we're that excited that we can't see where God's trying to take us. So wherever we find ourselves, either in the depths of despair or the heights of wonders in our lives, we still need a new perspective that says, God is this way. God is calling you on this way. Because when we follow him, resurrection life begins to bubble within. And the further down the journey of resurrection life that we go, the closer we get to experience those things that come with it. The joy and the peace and the abundance and the faith and the greater hope for the things to come. You know, we live, like I said, in the gift of Easter. The power, the victory, the joy. Let's allow that to take over us. Let's allow that to consume us. Keep going, keep believing, keep changing that that resurrection life may consume us through and through, may overwhelm us, may drown us, may surround us. I want to read you this quote by Pope John Paul II. I think it might have quite changed my life. It says this, Do not abandon yourself to despair. We are the Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. When we're building up to Easter, no matter where we're at or what is going on, remind yourself that you are an Easter people. We are an Easter people. We are a people of resurrection life. We are a people whose king is victorious. We are a people who belong to one who was dead but is alive again. We are a people of one who brings resurrection life. We are a people who belong to one who brings hope and brings faith and brings healing and brings everything that we need no matter what circumstances we find ourselves. And when we realize that, whether things are good or bad, we will know that we still have to sing hallelujah, hallelujah. that we still have to lift his name on high. Because no matter where we find ourselves, when we know that we are an Easter people,
people. When we know that we live in that victory, when we know that we're on a path to resurrection life, that we can still sing hallelujah, that we can still lift him up, that we can still say praise the Lord. No matter what goes on.